1: All right, guys. Welcome back to Conspiracy Normal. It's been, been a little uh, bit of a break. It has been a little bit of a break since you last heard us here on your podcast, Waves or whatever it is. <laughs> and what is uh,
2: it? yeah, bites. A little bit like that. Catching all these bites.
1: But, yeah, it's all the bites. Yeah, that's th- thank you. Uh, but we are back from the Strange Realities Conference 2023. That's and, right. It was uh, a smash. It was a smash. And we had a great time doing it, guys. Um, it was something else.
2: Yeah, this and, one was, I think, the best so far.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. And, you know, it's a little... Uh, It's a little bittersweet in that, um, you know, it's over for this year, but um, also at the same time, I always have that mixed feeling of like, I'm glad that I don't have to worry about it for the rest of the year and that we can just kind of do the shows and we don't have to worry about the, uh, the conference because guys, it takes a lot to do this conference and it takes an equal amount of time to advertise it. Uh, which you guys have heard nothing but from us from the strange realities conference.
2: Yeah. No more strange realities commercials for, for a while. So yeah, it'll, it'll be, be it'll be a while (laughs) back to regular old conspiranormal. And
1: it'll probably be a while before we even, before we even mention it after this. But um, you know, the thing is with strange realities is that there's so much that, that we do for preparation that like Surfiel and I, by the time that it actually starts, we're we're like absolutely already exhausted. Oh yeah. So um, by the time the weekend was over, by the time everybody left on Monday, that Monday afterwards, I was so beat that all I did like basically nothing the rest of that night. But yeah, let's here. talk about uh some of our impressions about the conference, I guess. I mean, I think for me, everything went really, really well. There was a lot of camaraderie this year. Um, You know, I think I feel like technically wise, because we've had some a lot of tech issues in the past, that it went really, really well. There were yeah. a few snafus, but other than that, things went pretty smooth on that end. I think you and Ren and I really had it down from last year, and we did pretty much. All we did really was plug and play. Uh, having Ren with his background in it is like very, very invaluable. I kind of
2: wish Ren was here to talk too because you know, yeah, uh, he's a co organizer with us and uh, we kind of do it without. yeah,
1: no, we definitely couldn't have done it without him. And also, Rob, we can't do it, we couldn't have done it without Rob as well. I mean, Rob has run. Except so for twenty twenty, obviously he has run sound for us all the years, and he has done a really great job and just kind of like putting up with our like you know streaming madness. Which, but I st- I still feel like it really went uh, pretty well without a hitch. Yeah, there thanks. was one weird thing that happened on that Friday night, though. If you want to tell people about that, like slightly paranormal. Yeah, well we we use a audio interface
2: to receive the audio signal that's in the room and then right. you know broadcast it out to the streaming audience and as soon as during Tim Binall's presentation he started talking about that dang old civil war gold
1: uh-huh. yeah.
0: uh huh yeah we started
2: true. getting people you know cuz we're watching the chats on the streaming side and we started getting some of the audience like oh there's no audio there's no audio you know we
1: yeah and we're like scrambling trying to go into panic mode running back and forth
2: to the boards our streaming setups and then like i finally noticed that the input volume was like moved all the way to zero yeah and me and Ren were trying to like recreate the conditions like, oh, maybe this wire was over it to brush
1: up against it. Yeah. To turn
2: yeah. it all the way down, but we really couldn't figure it out and we weren't moving around at that point. And right. the two audience members um you know, pretty much witness our reaction and everything. And it was a little that was a little odd. So that's good. That that's going in the the book of the strange realities lore, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely um it was really weird but yeah first night went went very well um you spoke you started us off yeah um, yeah and then we had mallory swinski and then um we had uh zach hunt came and spoke and then uh like you said tim finished the night off that night and we did the like yeah the weird like paranormal Paranormal feud. feud yeah that, that uh that that Which they did i gotta
2: it. be honest with i was kind of skeptical of but i think it it, it was well. really freaking fun
1: yeah yeah it well it was it was presenters against um against oh, yeah. the yeah. audience members except chris charbonneau for some reason was in the presenter column. <laughs> Cause he,
2: he always asked so many questions at everyone that he might as well be i guess
1: <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> that was the reason i don't I, I, know I, i'm I, just saying i think he just like fell in there and then yeah uh, Cheslin did the, the next day, the hypnosis session. We had, Brent which went really
2: well, and some people had really like well. a, a, a yeah. Really weird, yeah, uh, strange experience with, yeah, but,
1: yeah. Vincent Treewell told me he had a w- really weird experience with that. And, um, you know, and then we had a series like with Ren starting us off after lunch, and uh, Kiki and Tobias Wayland and uh, Recluse spoke, and, um. And then we finish it off with Nathan and Josh, and then I had Nevaeh moderate the. um, She moderated the Q and A session. Did really well with that. Yeah.
2: Before we go any further, I do want to say also that, you know, in addition to Ren and everyone helping us, and Rob, um, Steve Berg being an MC,
1: right? Yeah, really took this thing to the, the next, next level, level yeah.
2: energetically yeah. and he just gave us like so much and just raised everyone's spirits. Like, I mean, more, more than anyone, I think he really made it what it was, um, this year, you know, it was, it was great. So just big, sure. big thanks to to Steve Berg.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thank you very much, Steve. I know you're probably listening, but thank you so much for doing that and being a part of that this year. Um, we really do have a nice little core group of like him and uh, Banal and uh, Joshua Cutcheon, Ren, you know, Kiki. We have a nice little core group yeah. that we can kind of like depend on. And
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, Absolutely. really that we really had that fostered that sense of community this year.
2: Um, yeah, it felt really this... like a family reunion than ever. And even like the people who, you know, just went for their first time last year to like yeah. meet up with them. And we were all just like it, it was really, really great.
1: As far as in person attendance, um, this was probably the best. I th- actually not probably it actually was the best yeah. one so far. That room was pretty lies. pretty filled up, um, and I was very very happy with that. Um, of course, you know be, it, it's online, but I'd love people to come. Um, so and and the next day on that Sunday, we did we had Chris Ernst and uh, David Metcalf Eric and Michael Hughes, Soraya Askath, and Timothy Renner. And they all knocked it out of the park um, for the, for the online presentations. And yeah. so that was like its own kind of like little online conference in and of itself that day.
2: That was fun to just kind of like chill yeah. at your place and, and right. You know, conduct uh, direct the streaming, but it was a little more laid back. It was, uh, we got to rest a little bit and hang out with Bren
1: and uh then as a group we all went out to the bell witch cave which was yeah fun. so you know we got the little kind of more of a you know, a little more of a like just a paramania type of vibe going on um we're just that like everybody hanging out as friends and there was like a lot of partying all weekend and everybody having fun and um you know it was a it was it was a good time and it was a weekend that i don't think that i'm gonna ever really forget for a while i haven't really written anything about it yet i may before this comes up but uh just because i've just i've just kind of been recovering myself and just kind of like slowly getting back into things which yeah this obviously is a part of but uh yeah i want to thank everybody that that came i want to thank everybody who made this uh made it a great experience, uh, everybody that participated, um, you know, it it really is a, it really is kind of a labor of love and it's a really, you know, it it really is great to kind of have your own little community within the wider community. So anything that you want to add to that?
2: Uh, it was real special, you know, it was the first time I had to actually fly in. Um, yeah. So I kind of had this speaker experience to a degree. Um, but, Um, yeah, it's really great. You know, I was, I was really beat afterwards because we, we have to direct and and deal with whatever, uh, whatever comes up during the conference, you know, but then at the end of the night, you know, I'm kind of desperate to hang out with people and and socialize, Mm -hmm. but I have to get up before everyone also.
1: Yeah. There was a lot of, uh, there was a few days straight of getting home at three or four in the morning and waking up at seven. Yeah, yeah. So there the I, I really you know had a lot of sleep to catch up on once uh yeah. once everything was over and that's pretty much what I did.
2: Yeah, me too. And I was, you know, back eating uh eating the the southern food again and stuff and uh mm-hmm. imbibing a little uh, uh imbibing a little too much so uh, I I definitely had a little bit of recovering to do, but it was unforgettable like you said
1: yeah and guys too i mean you know I'll, I'll just plug it i mean the conference is still up there yeah, still, still up available. there i mean you know if, if you guys want to see it you know just contact us um and you know we can we can probably get you in so just let us know
2: uh, because everything's it still the there
1: thing- and it's not going to go away anytime soon
2: yeah and I just wanted to say also that you know the the future is kind of up in the air right now. Yeah, uh, we definitely want to uh, see where Strange Realities goes, where we can take it. We've got five years of these presentations recorded now, and want to find ways to make that uh, as much of that material as we can available to the general public with the permission of the speakers and presenters. Um, so we'll see, see where that goes to uh, see, you know, what happens with the strange realities imprint, but uh conspira normal is going to be back in, in full force here. we gonna be wrapping up this year with a few episodes and uh, then hopefully, you know, we can just concentrate on that and whatever strange realities becomes for 2024.
1: Yep. So stay tuned for all that guys, but uh, for this return of conspira normal, we uh, are doing a 60th anniversary Kennedy assassination special. So, and we have uh, Craig Ciccone. So, uh, I think without further ado, we will just go to that. Okay, everyone, we are back with Conspiracy Normal. It's been a, uh, it's been a, it's been a minute, and we have had some some things happen in between. Um, the time that you last heard from us and we'll we'll talk about that later. we'll talk about like our kind of general impressions of the strange realities conference and everything that happened and uh but uh for the moment we will just say that everything went really well and we were happy to do it and we are also happy to uh to be back doing doing shows again just doing shows for a little while
2: yeah it'll be uh, nice to get back in the habit of that
1: which is always good so but if you guys don't know. November 22nd, so coming up here in just about a week, is the 60th anniversary of the JFK assassination. And we've been around so long that we did a 50th anniversary special on this, and now we're doing a 60th anniversary special. And I couldn't think of anybody better to join us to talk about this than Craig Ciccone, who's not been on in a couple of years, so we got Mm -hmm. to rectify that as well. So, Craig, welcome back to Normal.
3: Thank you Adam. Sir feel I I'm it's a pleasure to be back. Great yeah, to have you. It has been far too long.
1: Yeah, we're glad to have you. It's uh it, it has been far too long. Um I
2: think last we talked about the uh, Fred Hampton and we did. uh yeah. might be cool to catch up on some of that too where it, where it's been since we last talked to you after we uh covered the JFK stuff.
3: Yeah, cuz that was a couple years ago, more than yeah. 2 years ago now that we talked about that. And there has since been a full-length feature film, a Hollywood film on Fred Hampton. Yeah yeah in the uh, interim so that's worthy of discussion
1: <clears throat> i think really what what i want to accomplish with this episode is to kind of figure out where we are with the whole field of jfk assassination research where we are with where we're ever going to really find out if anything's ever going to happen to where we know definitively what happened and just maybe what the future holds for it and maybe look at how these ideas reverberate today right down to where we are politically now so i guess craig th- my first question to you would be you know what updates have we had in the last 10 years
3: uh what
1: is new and where do we stand at the moment
3: okay well, I can I can answer that on several different fronts. Um, the first one is full disclosure. Uh, I'll have to give you a general, a very general uh, response to that because uh, the vast majority of the last 25 years has been spent on Fred Hampton and the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party. Yeah. So I have not been as in tune to the JFK assassination research community as I, I would have liked. However... Uh, Given the emergence of in 1992 after the Kennedy Records Collection Act was passed and then the formation of the Assassination Record Review Board uh, that finished its work in 1996, there has been a steady stream of documents that have been recovered by the AARB uh, that would not have otherwise. It wasn't just a matter of them uncovering it. It was a matter of them on a daily basis either arguing with or negotiating with intelligence agencies to not just release documents, but to to unredact them. Because in in my own experience with the FBI, you, you, you learn how to interpret documents and read documents even through the redactions, even through the black lines you you have an idea of what they're talking about you interview other people you sit down with them and and you have them read the document and they're able to fill in some gaps and you're able to fill in some gaps and the long and short of that is we are still thousands of documents away from full disclosure but i think that the jfk research community has done a good job at tempering people's expectations i think that a lot of people I think that even researchers themselves are hoping to find that smoking gun. And that's just not how intelligence agencies, specifically our intelligence agencies, work. They are not going to leave a paper trail. Um, Some are, are more clever at it than others as far as intelligence agencies in hiding what they've done or what they've allowed to happen and who was culpable of that. Um, who sees their intelligence? Who acts upon their intelligence? Who pays for that intelligence? These are all very compartmentalized, very you know, um, um, very opaque to to the to the average reader. So so it, it it is a slow process. I said 1996. That seems like a long uh, a long time ago, but when you're talking about tens and thousands hundreds of thousands of documents they don't just have to be read they have to be processed they have to be read over and over and over again and pieced together with others and so you can make sense of it um but i think what it clearly has established that is what has been released so far is that the jfk well what i call them the, the the founding fathers and mothers of the jfk assassination research community they have they have if if nothing else proved and buttressed the arguments that they made back in the 60s and 70s as far as what the relationship was between the fbi the cia other intelligence agencies and lee harvey oswald the alleged assassin of president kennedy um assailant of governor john conley and the of course murderer of jd tippett dallas police officer um It strengthens some of the arguments that have already been in place and had been in place for 50, 40, 50 years. Um, As far as those relationships are concerned, as far as what what evidence has been uh, brought forth and um, physical evidence. um, Sometimes it's even eyewitness evidence. Uh, People are finally, because of the AARB, people were finally interviewed who had never been interviewed before. So we had a had a wonderful look at a, a new, brand new look at not only the Zapruder film, but also uh, the medical evidence. Um, so I, that's just generally mm-hmm. where we are and what we can expect from, like I said, the continuing um, release or non-release of documents from our intelligence agency p- pertaining to the JFK assassination. Um, but I really do want to emphasize that, you know, we started in 63 with the Warren Commission and then went to 1977 with the House Select Committee on Assassinations. Then we went to, of course, Oliver Stone's movie JFK in 1991. But no one in the past 60 years has done more to uncover and to clarify and to justify a reinvestigation, a serious nonpartisan all resources on board investigation than the assassination record and review board it was not their mandate to investigate the assassination but that's what uh. in fact they did with their their tremendous interviews their their encyclopedic knowledge of the other investigations that had that had happened before them so that they knew the lessons to that that they should have learned they didn't make the same mistakes and in fact Uh, rectified a lot of those mistakes and I think that in 1996 when the AARB released its final report that should have been enough for either the media uh social media uh the country to say even more than Oliver Stone did in 1991 you have shown us that we need to reinvestigate this case and and um it, it is undeniable um, irrefutable that, that the work that the ARB did, um, showed us that, that it was, that it's absolutely necessary. I think it, I think people like Jefferson Morley, um, uh, shows that you really have to spend your time in college park in Maryland at the national archives, um, and really go through them yourself and, um, and see what's there and to see the scope of the records that have been released. Um,
2: I mean, he basically so, lived there, right? That's ap- what ap- absolutely what it's characterized as, yeah.
3: Absolutely. Uh, but other researchers are doing that too. And 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 I guess that that's another nod that I want to give. You're talking about the 60th anniversary. Well, let's celebrate the ones that have come before us, some of whom are, are no longer with us, like um, Sylvie Marr and just recently Harold Weisberg, um absolutely. Mary Farrell, and, and the work that they've done to continue uh pressing forward and continuing the pursuit of of this this incredibly important case um so i am you know conflicted the fact that i have not kept up with it but um still with with um a very interested ear i i try to try to take in as much as i can um you know given the work that i'm doing and it being so uh unrelated but yeah um I can't think of anything in particular that that has come out. Um, I mean, the one revelation that that uh, that people should know about because it wasn't the mainstream media was the Secret Service agent Paul Landis, who was opposite Clint Hill, on the uh, Secret Service um, follow-up car right behind President Kennedy's car. So he's on the he's on the right front running board, like I said, opposite of Clint Hill, who was on the left front running board, um, and his revelation that he's the one who um recovered commission exhibit 399 or the magic bullet um that that supposedly was recovered from a um a stretcher in Parkland Hospital and then handed over back over to the secret service he claims that he f- found the bullet um and just tossed it onto the 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 the, the um the stretcher in Parkland Hospital <clears throat> Um, and then, of course, reviewing what what Paul had already um, created as far as official records on that day and the subsequent days, um, there's really nothing about his story that 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 would indicate he's less than truthful or less than than official um, in in submitting these these uh, reports and the detail in these reports. So, I, I mean, I can't I can't speak for the man's veracity. I can simply say that's a little twist in the history of commission exhibit 399 uh -hmm. because as was talked about in jfk revisited the newest oliver stone documentary um the chain of evidence for not just that bullet but all of the other bullets fragments clothes everything uh is a serious question so if if paul landis can establish that he also had his hands on commission exhibit, exhibit three ninety nine. Um, then again, we have to we have to rethink that chain of, of custody, chain of evidence. And um, it's it's meaning to the case.
2: Talking about those, those citizen investigators, the investigation of, of the JFK assassination and how it inspired this community of, of uh, researchers and, and sleuths to crowdsource this thing that's been an ongoing effort since the 60s is real amazing i think it really changed the culture i was i was watching like a true crime documentary the other day about how much um these cold cases and and unsolved murders have been impacted by like the online sleuthdom and um, it's really interesting although i don't really know um about the political implications but um i really think it changed the culture and our um our reliance on experts in the press, which that's not always a good a good thing, but it's really interesting to think about the the larger cultural impact of that.
3: It is, and I think I think it was a watershed moment for a lot of reasons. the 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 assassination of our young president in nineteen sixty three um, that wasn't expected by anybody, and um, the profound effect that it had. But also, not at the moment, not at, not just at that moment, but also into the future. Like you said, I think that it started. A whole, um, a whole new school and a whole of thought and of uh, and of action. I mean, we we always had really good investigative journalists, and it was still back in the time when we trusted our media uh, representatives. I'm talking about like like Walter Cronkite and Ed Caroll and um, um, Edwin Newman. I mean, we we trusted these guys because they were stellar and they were articulate and they were dogged and you know. Uh, of impeccable character um so so this encouraged other people to start investigating and to be like that to be uh, as as dogged in in pursuit of that as possible and so you had vincent salandria and mark lane and like i said harold weisberg and uh, just scores of other people who looked into this case um despite the pronouncement of Warren commission member and ex director of the cia alan dulles when he said that no one would read the record that that the public reads very little a few experts will study it but the public reads very little and so i thought that was a great testament uh, you know against that that people would take up The torch and for for whatever reasons, whether it's because of an admiration for Kennedy or just simply because um, accountability in our government um, and media uh, sources and with the technology, with the emerging technology going from that, I think it it, again just exploded, like you said. people who are taking it upon themselves to hold uh, n- n- not just government agencies, but local and state agencies accountable for their investigations. And that's what it really comes down to what the whole last 60 years is, is trying to hold all of these investigative bodies accountable for what they did and their pronouncements of, you know, this is the official version and you don't have to, you don't have to look into it because we have, we haven't, you know, we have it covered. Yeah. Um. So, so, And with anything else, there are going to be extremes. There are going to be extreme people who who simply want to follow conspiracy theories um, just to be in that niche, just to have some kind of status, just to be relevant somehow. But for the vast majority of people who really take up cases, um, again, local, state, federal cases, um, more eyes and ears on on, um, long-ignored cases— is is entirely helpful um for for law enforcement for uh, or just for the pursuit of of um justice and truth um you know my own foray into the life and death of fred hampton who was the um deputy chairman of the illinois chapter of the black Panther party in the late 60s that was one of the reasons why i went i i I was so compelled to, to look at his case because it had been so overlooked um this is this is an egregious example of a state-sponsored assassination and nothing of any consequence happened. That is, no one was held accountable. Yes, you know, the families of the two people who were killed that night, Fred Hampton and Mark Clark, then the people who were severely wounded in that shooting, um, they all got a settlement after 13 years of litigation of nearly $2 million. But most of that went to the lawyers who had been fighting for them for 13 years. So that's not really accountability that's not really justice mm-hmm. that's making it go away so um present day sleuths are are absolutely vital and and um i'm glad that they are not um worried about the moniker that might be slapped on them conspiracy nut or kook or you know theorist as if as if it itself is is a is a bad thing or has negative connotation to it um but yeah i i think that's that's where we are and and because of, because of that because of the wonderful work that was done in the nineteen sixties and seventies, it it pushed a, a new generation of people like myself and now another generation, and hopefully we will be able to um to carry it forward. But for a lot of people it's it the, the question is, well to what end? If there is no smoking gun with all right. of the documents that we've released or still need to be released, and if everybody or most people who are involved in the assassination behind the scenes and in front of the scenes, if they're dead by now, then what's the point? What what can we expect out of any further investigation? Um, and such a question, uh, in the nicest way I can say that shows a level of, of just a lack of um, knowledge about the case. There are so many implications when an American president is killed. And his his accused assassin is then unceremoniously murdered two, day, two days later in police custody. Um, but even cold cases, um, I'm thinking of um, Emmett Till. I'm thinking of Medgar Evers. I'm thinking of well, shit John Wilkes Booth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Um, even cold cases can, can heat back up if new evidence is uncovered or at the very least new interpretation of old evidence. We have lots of technology now, very good science. We could do a definitive test on bullets, bullet fragments and things like that. So we can definitively say one way or the other, instead of saying, I think this, or I think that, but barring a deathbed confession barring a smoking gun what we can do and what we should do there's nothing wrong i mean me as a historian i have to every day come come to grips with the fact that there are some things that we will never know as a historian you have to you have to go forward with that kind of premise in your head uh, Yeah, i agree with that but We can't with 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 as much as we know, we can at least come to consensus, a consensus. And this is where the JFK assassination research community is so vital and important. What we should be doing is we should be coming together at conferences which happen every year in different places of the country. But we should be declaring a consensus on certain aspects of the case um that is going to give the community the momentum it needs to go into uh asking for a new investigation an impartial investigation um with the evidence that we have already uncovered with the evidence that that still exists that hasn't been destroyed hasn't been buried then we can we can say to the the greatest certainty that we can this is how it happened or this is the most likely way it happened and there's nothing wrong with that because you have the warren commission saying this is absolutely how it happened and we and we can again demonstrably prove that that was not only false but it was it was um purposely false it Mm -hmm. was a conclusion that was that that was out of deception not out of well wow we just didn't have you know We didn't have the right evidence in front of us, so we could only, we, we we drew the conclusion we could only draw based on that. So I think there is still a great deal of justice and, um, well, barring justice, um, we owe it to John Kennedy. How's that? Yeah. To do everything we can to make the uh, circumstances of his death as clear and as, and as public as possible. Um, and given that, I will be the first one to to uh I'll be in the front of the line of the the crusade, uh as morbid as this sounds, to ex- to exhume him and John Conley. Because Nellie Conley, his widow, ref and, and there's no reason for it, but she refused. To allow the medal that's still in Governor Connolly's wrist to be removed after he died, before right. he was buried, she was adamant about it. Why? When was that? When did when did Connolly die? I I don't recall. It has to have been at least I'm looking it up years ago, 1993.
1: So it was right in the middle of all that, right? AARB
3: you know, right, yeah. right, right. after, um, absolutely. JFK come out, yeah. And especially given uh, Governor Conley's uh, official and, and private pronouncements that he did not believe he ever believed that the single bullet theory was applicable to the Kennedy case. Right. And he would be the guy, right? He would be, he the, would guy be the guy you would, would trust because, I mean, he, he got shot, you know. Absolutely. And he went yeah. through all of the pain and all of the suffering and, and trauma, physical and otherwise. Um, the Because least- it was like what? It was in his wrist and in his leg, I think. So he well, had two spots on his body. Um. Well, three. His chest first yeah. went into his wrist and then landed in yeah. his body. It was superficial. Uh. But there is that there was still metal remaining in his wrist. Even even right. after he'd taken fragments out. Uh. They left the. This is
1: supposedly out. from the bullet that just had a couple of dents in it, right? Exactly.
3: So yeah. you, you remove <laughs> you remove the metal. You wait with the metal that was removed in 1963. Yeah. And then if it weighs more than what's missing from Commission Exhibit 399, boom, the single-bullet theory is, is dead. done. Yeah. It doesn't matter about your yeah. nice 3D models that show how a bullet could have gone through both men. It it doesn't matter one lick because it, it proves that that wasn't the bullet. Right. So,
1: and if they exhumed JFK, they would know where the wounds are, which I, which is something I want to get to here in a second. And, and, but, and we
3: can, but mine, mine yeah. is... Mine is more philosophical because it's the reason that I want JFK exhumed and for an autopsy to be done is because he has yet to have a medical legal autopsy. That's crazy. That is crazy. His accused assassin has already had two, Uh, you know, unimpeachable medical legal autopsies that nobody could have argued or impugned its, its veracity in court. But yeah. John Kennedy, our president, our young, vital president who was, who was murdered in broad daylight, he has not had one yet. So the autopsy of Bethesda was not... It was not a medical legal autopsy. That is, it was not within the confines of the law, and it was not in the confines of board-certified pathologists looking at a gunshot wound victim.
2: As these, a part of an investigation.
3: Right. Yeah. These were. These were clinical and, and anatomic pathologists te- teachers who are teaching how to dissect a body how to do an you can do an autopsy without ever seeing a a car crash victim or a bullet victim or even a even a burn victim these are patients who basically die of natural causes and any schmuck can dissect a body take the the, the microscopic slides and samples and then test you know uh, study those samples for Parkinson's for Addison's for ca- cancer for diabetes that's you're talking about a clinical pathology and that's what Dr Humes and Dr Boswell um were experts in you know and that's what they knew uh natural death uh, autopsies they never had done a gunshot death autopsy before but we have to go back to Dallas to establish the legal, precedent because in 1963 it was not a federal crime to kill the president so the second the bullet tore through john kennedy's head he was john doe as in the eyes of the law in the eyes of dallas so as a homicide victim a an autopsy had to have been done before the body could be removed from dallas county that of course was not done dr earl rose who was the um the, the chief medical examiner in dallas he was prepared to do President Kennedy's autopsy at Parkland Hospital. But of course, the Secret Service, by gunpoint, took President Kennedy's body and they went to Bethesda, a naval hospital that was controlled by admirals and military and then up the chain, the president, which was now Lyndon Johnson. So it was a very controlled um, (laughs) set of circumstances. And the autopsy itself was not only inept, uh, but it was also very incomplete. Um, the the most egregious example I can I can um, give uh, from that is the fact that Dr. Humes waited until after the autopsy was completed, so they are now filling John Kennedy's head with um, plaster of Paris because they're preparing his body. They're ex- they're they're embalming his body and and getting it ready for an open casket funeral, despite the damage that was done to his head. You know they had some pieces of skull. He had a lot of hair. You know plaster of Paris right here, and then we'll be able to make him look pretty damn good. So they're doing
1: this. They're doing this in the, during the supposed autopsy.
3: Well, after, after but it's still okay. at Bethesda. So right, while right. this is going on because they
1: bury him. The timeline is he's killed on Friday, and they're basically burying him on Sunday or yes. Monday.
3: N- Monday, Monday. Yeah, Monday. I think he gets buried on the Monday. Yes. Um, so, um, while Kennedy is being uh, embalmed after the autopsy, Humes then goes to his office and calls Dr. Malcolm Perry in Dallas, because he was the first one to attend to Kennedy when he was brought to Parkland Hospital. And then he decides to ask his attending physician, hey, what wounds did you see on Kennedy's body? This should have been done immediately. The second... James Humes knew that he was going to be doing the autopsy. He should have been on the phone to the Parkland doctors. Every single person who saw him after he was shot and should have gotten a full report of what wounds did you observe, what treatment did you give him, then he would have known that the the hole in President Kennedy's neck that he saw was in fact a tracheotomy through an existing bullet hole and wouldn't have been so perplexed during the autopsy as to completely overlook it. I mean, you have to, you have to remember that. He did not examine the wound as a wound. He, he ignored it because he thought it was a tracheotomy. So the night of the autopsy, you've got a bullet in President Kennedy's back and it didn't go anywhere. So when Hume's through, you know, the Secret Service agents who are there or the FBI agents who are there and the reports they were getting. The phone was constantly ringing off the hook. Dr. Humes hears that a bullet had been recovered on a stretcher in Dallas. He assumed that that was the bullet that was in the back. Oh, there's the reason why it's not in the body. And it's, you know, because it made its way out of President Kennedy's body and fell out onto a stretcher in Parkland. All right, cool. But then when he heard that Governor or that uh, Dr. Perry had observed a bullet wound in President Kennedy's throat through which he did a tracheotomy. Then he said, oh, shit, now I have to write an autopsy report to account for a wound I never saw or examined. So. Sunday morning, as Oswald is being transferred, you know, uh, from the uh, city jail to the county jail and was subsequently murdered by Jack Ruby he burns his original autopsy notes and draft. Because now, like I said, now he has to write a report based on wounds he never saw. And he simply connected the back wound with a front wound that he never saw, and easy peasy. So it's it's because of egregious things like this, the destruction of evidence, of course, um, and Dr. Humes' incompetence um, and unprofessionalism that it would have been rendered completely inadmissible in a court of law.
1: Right. Had there ever
3: been an actual trial? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the Warren, Jack Ruby took care of that. Right. But, but the Warren commission always spoke in terms of the findings that we have produced, um, that we have to present them in such a way that they would have, of course, been, been undeniably, um, they would have they would have been responsible for securing a, a guilty verdict for oswald had he gone to trial so everything that they did was was about oswald's guilt and about yeah. you know, if it had gone to trial well the funny thing is is they could say that cuz the man was dead so right. i guess of course theoretically you can say that or you can say that to to show that you really are thorough and you know uh investigative and um without impunity right there's a documentary
1: just came out and this is also in jfk revisited as well this the documentary about the parkland doctors so the doctors of the parkland hospital in dallas right and what they saw and this is just a, a further explication of that than what's in jfk revisited the medical stuff has always kind of it's not been the very most exciting part for me but uh this was had a little more uh <laughs> well it's just all I like, kind of drive it's I, I i like the other i like the other uh cia related stuff i get it i get but, it but um uh, the um but but this I, I think i've gotten a little more interested in it and it's all because it's always been very confusing when you watch something like the men who kill kennedy there's a lot of confusion there and this was made like In 1988, so this is 25 years after the the assassination, and it it doesn't make much sense. But I think since then, it's been much more explicated, a little fully. So what is it that the Parkland doctors see Mm -hmm. with the discrepancy of what's in the autopsy that's done in Bethesda?
3: The biggest discrepancy, of course, is the characteristic of the wound to President Kennedy's throat. Was it, in fact, an entry wound or was it, in fact, an exit wound? now you have pathologists who declare that it was an exit wound simply because they ran out of options right they never saw it they never examined it as a as a bullet wound they they always just saw it as a tracheotomy wound right they simply connected the dots however the dallas doctors and these are mostly trauma surgeons doctors chiefs and head nurses and anesthesiologists and urologists and I mean everybody was working on President Kennedy I can't remember the exact number but there was no less than 32 36 people who had their hands on him at one point while he was while he was at Parkland right but it was also the discrepancy of the the size and location of his head wound Mm -hmm. the vast majority of the doctors nurses orderlies and specialists said that it was an occipital parietal wound, that is the back right of the head. Not only did they talk about it being an avulsed wound or a blown-out wound in that area, but also that they saw not only uh, cerebral tissue, which is the main portion of the brain, the cerebellum, but also the cerebellum, which is at the very far, the back of, of the brain the back bottom of the brain. So if they see both of these tissues on the the stretcher, then they are talking about a rear entry wound or a rear, not entry wound, a rear wound. Whereas the, the um the pathologist at Bethesda claimed that it was mostly, chiefly, uh frontal and parietal. So extending the 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 um the fractures radiating into the occipital but chiefly the temple area you know from the ear forward and um w- you know we were able to to at least see that supported by the um the uh, autopsy photographs that were that were what were they they <laughs> um just like just like robert groden had with his apruta film back in 1960 or 1976 so
1: 76 75. anyway yeah somewhere around there i think yeah. it was when it was shown uh on Geraldo's show it was exactly 75. yeah
3: exactly so so these these were, were duplicates um that were that were um released into the public and and david lifton in in, in a re-issuing of his book best evidence in 1988 uh displayed some of these so you know, but that's one of the things that the Assassination Record and Review Board did in, in its work between '92 and '96 was to interview interview everybody at Bethesda or Bethesda Naval Hospital, including the people who took the photographs. These these photographs that 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 have been made public, and there have only been nine, ten, eleven of them. You know, out of out of fifty two, I think there were um so anyway so they interviewed everybody including the photographers and these are either not of john kennedy or they are doctored in some way um and and this has been established by the assassination record and review board anyway so you're talking about the difference between the parkland and um bethesda those were the main differences the characteristics of both the wounds to his throat and to the back of his head and this is why any competent forensic pathologist medical examiner would have called the staff at parkland before even looking at the body they would have if not demanded a report from all of them to read beforehand at least oral at least over the phone uh what did you see you know what did you do what 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 marks you know did you make on the body <laughs> to to assist in 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 um trying to sustain his life uh you know because cut down incisions and and tracheotomies through through a throat usually you don't o- obliterate evidence like a bullet wound by doing a tracheotomy through it it just so happened that it was in his throat and they wanted to put a tracheal tube in into his into his um throat to help him breathe so instead of making two holes in his throat which would have been antithetical to you know allowing him to breathe they simply cut through the bullet wound to make a tracheotomy yeah Yeah. so um and and this was not done leading to years and years of confusion now again the the parkland doctors have always been very consistent in their stories Uh, um to have to do a documentary 60 years later sh- showing you know what they said and what they felt or and what they saw is unnecessary the work that i did the the for a, for a lot of people the master list of witnesses mm-hmm. that some people may be familiar with i'm dealing with witnesses and witnesses of course are one of the most uh, unreliable sources of of evidence you don't you take it at face value you have to have it with context and so i decided that i was going to do just that the earliest recollection is always the best so for most of these witnesses i tried to get tried to find opinions that they gave at the earliest point possible after the assassination okay sure. the, the later their opinion goes the less and less value it has, the less and less um, uh, emphasis we put on it. Same goes for doctors. So we already have the testimony of the Parkland doctors and nurses, not all of them because the Warren Commission was less than thorough. But then you had um, the House Select Committee on Assassinations, which did a much better job. Then you've got the Assassination Record Review Board, which, which closed all those gaps. So we have the record. They have given their their opinions over and over and over again. Some of them have even written books. Dr. Uh, Charles Crenshaw wrote a book uh, in the wake of of the movie JFK in 91. Others have given their oral history to the Sixth Floor Museum in Dallas. So the record abounds with their opinions. We don't need another documentary to confuse or to confound the issue. It has already been established Mm -hmm. That the parkland doctors saw different wounds than the than the doctors at at um, Bethesda it's that simple so what isn't simple is why the why now we can argue about it. I
2: mean at a certain point, do you think that even though there's information that we we still don't have, obviously the smoking guns are pretty much already there
3: yes in in either the existence of evidence that is impossible to interpret any other way or the destruction of evidence because remember in establishing what happened sometimes it's a matter of establishing patterns of what people did so if you have these patterns of behavior it leads to the most likely conclusion so what is the reason that they took President Kennedy's body from Dallas before an autopsy had been done. Why was it done at a at a military controlled um facility with people who were in over their heads? Um Why then were the autopsy materials then given to the Kennedy family? I don't know why they'd want them, but of course that that's who ended up getting them. Um, why didn't anyone want Governor Conley's clothes to be examined before Nellie Conley, four months after the assassination, decided to launder them, wash them? Um, you know, why did all these things happen? Can we simply just say that it was incompetence or it was malfeasance, or can we say that that it was it was a concerted effort to control the outcomes and to make sure that the outcomes that that were made public were crafted not um um spontaneous uh through through the result of di- of of diligent research and and study it wasn't so um th- again these these incredibly telling patterns of behavior that can lead us to say it definitely either happened this way or it definitely didn't happen this way which is why when people still ask me to this day mm-hmm. Um, who killed JFK? I said, well, I don't know, but I know who didn't kill him. Right. That was Lee Harvey Oswald. Everybody else is 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 up for grabs. Um, you know, and and there are various reasons why everybody is a suspect. Back in 1963,
2: I mean, we still want the info, but
3: we do. We, we do
2: this trickle, though. You know, this this constant trickle could be um, kind of counterproductive.
3: I agree. And that's, that's why it has to be tempered with, with, you know, a level headedness and, and like I said, a commitment to consensus. Let's stop arguing about this. Let's start, let's stop having these, these disparate uh, versions of things, views of things. We as a research community who have done the vast majority of work, and you have to remember that, um, It's not the published work, it's not the official uh, investigative bodies, but the private citizens who have done the most work, who have done the most legwork. And we can come to a consensus on, on certain things. But you have to remember that this all starts because of the Warren Commission. It should have been definitive, and it was not. It proclaimed in the New York Times, because the New York Times, you know, was kind enough to to publish the Warren Commission's findings before the the report was even released. They declared unequivocally that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone in killing Kennedy, shooting Conley, and murdering uh, Dallas Police Officer J.D. Tippett. There was no conspiracy, foreign or domestic. Boom, that is declarative, that is important, especially for the United States to temper its own grief over President Kennedy's assassination. And it seems open and shut, doesn't it? But if, in fact, it was an open and shut case, if Oswald did it and did it alone just so he could get into the annals of history because he was a loner, but as Bill Hicks said, how can you be a loner with a wife and children? Um, (laughs) If that was the case, then why all the secrecy? why did the warren commission declare that it was going to be 75 years bef- you know until all of this was released and the Select committee assassination said that it was going to be 50 years since you know until their work can be released and it took a hollywood movie to get mm-hmm. enough critical mass to get people to say release the damn files and yet still we're, we you know we're we're how many th- thousands of pages um from that so The whole point is their declarative statement that Oswald did it, did it alone, no conspiracy, foreign or domestic, he had no help. It was just a desperate plea by this, you know, this um, aimless loner nut who had no gripes with Kennedy, but decided to kill him anyway. Uh, then why all the secrecy? Why all the destruction of evidence? Why all of the obfuscation and opaqueness? Yeah. You those questions. And and when you look at the details of the case, the, the millions and millions of details of the case, then the reason comes clear. And that is, they are trying to cover up something. They are trying to hide something. And in every facet of this case, whether it's the evidence whether it's the eyewitnesses, whether it's the who might have actually been responsible for President Kennedy's assassination, that's what they were trying to cover up and and not. And it still
2: them. must be of some kind of consequence today to keep this going. Um, there still must be some people who, I guess the entire country's uh, run by very old people. So there's still probably a lot of people alive uh, involved there, who at least had relationships with people who are alive. And, well, then, and,
1: and, and don't forget, don't forget generational things too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there might be some tarnished
2: legacies of entire yeah, political dynasties,
1: dynasties of, entire, of entire families, you know, sure, um, sure. And, that and, could and be involved. No,
3: but that's, that's an excellent point. And all I can say, I mean, so much is running through my head right now. So forgive me that I'm going off the, you know, on different different tracks, the FBI had quite a bit to protect when J. Edgar Hoover died in 1972. Oh, yeah, but it doesn't mean that the extent of his well, let's let's just call it authoritarianism yeah. over the FBI w- was brought to light. The Church Committee investigated yeah. the the crimes and and misadventures of our intelligence agencies, at, uh, crystal clear. Out in, out in the open, and the extent to which J Edgar Hoover and his paranoia um, cost, you know, hundreds and thousands of lives, careers, marriages, even deaths. Um, you know, so that was brought to light, and yet the FBI still lives. And the FBI is either, you know, embraced by one political party and criticized by the other, or vice versa. So, <clears throat> um, but as far as what might be at risk for releasing all of this and uh, really allowing the truth to happen. I would like to think that the country as a whole, still after 60 years, would treat this like um, Mark David Chapman. What does this have to do with John Lennon's killer? Well, it's the reason they won't let him out of prison they will not release him because the second they do, someone in New York will kill him because that's how beloved John Lennon was. And it doesn't matter how many years go by, right? We're still pissed off. And every time we hear the the new Beatles song, <laughs> <laughs> um, they're just going to get even more and more pissed at what we lost <laughs> and, what, and what Mark David Chapman took from Yoko Ono, Julian, and Sean Lennon and everybody i'm hoping that people still have that same kind of reverence for the president president kennedy that if it was disclosed that the cia had in fact devised a plan had um hired an assassination squad and had allowed them to do it and then covered it up i would hope that we would be so um sickened by that and still affected by that that we would call for well what John Kennedy called for in 1961 that is the complete overhaul and and um restructuring of the CIA because even after the church committee even after uh book after book after book and document after document after document the CIA still runs and still uh unfettered uh, gets as much money as it wants much of it is is um, uh can't you know th- they don't have to to account for it um no one holds them accountable um, and and they roll merrily merrily along affecting um, foreign policy and geopolitical policy um so how is that the case how is that the case that any of our generations since President Kennedy's assassination has allowed the FBI to go again, without very little, um, consequence to mm-hmm. that agency, how much money it gets, um, or, or what it oversees or, you know, that kind of thing. It, it, it has affected our intelligence agencies very little. Yeah. I mean, the point of the central intelligence agency is to have one centralized intelligence agency. Now we have what? 16, so it's just gotten it's it's just gotten worse that is instead of relying on a reliable central base of information we now have it scattered just like it was back in 1963 and and you know leads to 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 those problems and that confusion so um but to be realistic it has been argued that the that the american public the citizenry is mature enough and smart enough to react in 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 a reasonable way right if if they they can deal with the truth
2: well and i mean i almost feel like at least since the 90s there already has been a critical mass of probably a majority of americans who have pretty much accepted that a conspiracy that probably involves some members of the government or intelligence agencies occurred Like, I don't, it's, it's hard to find someone who doesn't,
1: but our media hasn't, right. That's the thing. I mean, that's, that's the thing. And and so you'll still get arguments at the Thanksgiving dinner table about this, like in my family, Mm -hmm. you know, like my dad's still kind of convinced Oswald did it alone, you know, and we, we talk about this all the time. And, (laughs) but it's like, when you have like Thanksgiving's coming up, man, I know, like CNN on the 50th anniversary you know, last year still, you know, talking about the, still basically apologizing for ma- being apologists for the, for the Warren commission. It's like they're ignoring the other two investigations that occurred since then right. as if it never happened. Right. And right. it's like, so they still just th- to say, okay, it was Lee Harvey Oswald and they just wanted to just close the books and, and, and just, and just leave it there.
3: Yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately this case has, has, has become that, uh, we'll we'll deal with it on the, the the decade anniversaries. So yes, right right. Now, right now there's just a plethora of and you'll see in the next week a plethora of of investigative, um you know journalists and and articles um, because they have to deal with it right. It's the 60th anniversary. It's a big one. So okay, we got to talk about JFK again. So let's just fuck. We'll just we'll just you know. You Uh, you know, like, like perfunctory, like a perfunctory examination. you know, but like you said, yeah, in the end, nothing has really contradicted the Warren Commission or the House Elect Committee assassinations, even though, of course, they can contradict each other. And then, like you said, two investigations, please don't forget about ARB, which really wasn't an investigation, but it must be mentioned in the same uh, sentence as the Warren Commission and the House Elect Committee and assassinations. So so yes, if the media paid this case and Martin Luther King's assassination case and and Robert Kennedy's assassination case as diligently every year as they do on, like I said, the tenth anniversaries throughout the years, then maybe, right. just maybe, um, the something would 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 come of it. But but like you said, I think people either get sick of hearing about it, you know, um, or or. Throw up their hands in in um, disbelief and say, we'll, "We'll never find out. We'll never know. The government's just too big and and too se- secretive." And those are then again the people that turn around and say, "Well, if this was a conspiracy, if it, th- that big of a conspiracy, how has it lasted this long? Somebody would have talked. Somebody something would have been found." You know, as as if again they have a, have a a, a, a true understanding of what a conspiracy is. Somebody ended. did talk, but it was kind of ignored. Many people talked, and either they were killed, yeah. or it was on record, or, you know, yeah, it was overlooked, or, yeah. So the I mean, record, I, the record I, I, with those
1: examples. I buy the E. Howard Hunt deathbed confession. I do, too. Everything that he said was entirely plausible. Exactly. And, and
3: could very well be uh, demonstrated yeah, through through other uh, testimonies and other uh, documentary evidence. So um, these these are the details that that really need to be addressed. And so when you talk about when I talk about wanting a new investigation, these are the things that that really need to be looked into as far as they can go. And yes, I know people are dead. Yes, I know that the evidence is limited, but you can you can take those strands as far as they can go and then your conclusion will be based on the evidence that still exists because we covered all of it this is the most likely scenario and there's nothing wrong with releasing a report that says that and i and and that might sound a little hypocritical because in many parts of the warren commission and even the house Select committee on assassinations they used the word presumably or allegedly uh but you ha- it, it depends on what you're referring to that makes it okay or makes it fitting uh if you're talking about wounds on the president's body then you can't say presumably your job is to know definitively because that's science you had the body you just had incompetent people looking at the body so that's why so um and i and i have to a shout out to robert kennedy because we i just Glanced over that. How the House Select Committee on Assassinations did not include Robert Kennedy's assassination is beyond me. Yeah. Because even even more than John Kennedy's assassination, there were so many egregious errors and um and oversights and well deliberate um obfuscations. Please yeah. remember that. For all the fun that we make of the Warren Commission's 900-page report and its 26 volumes of testimony and exhibits, at least they released them. Mm-hmm. The LAPD did not release Robert Kennedy the, the the final report of the special unit senator or their little their their, their task force uh, to investigate Robert Kennedy's assassination until 1986, and they had to be, had to be sued to to do that. So 20 years after Robert Kennedy's assassination, we didn't even have a report. So you ask yourself, why that then? Again, if Sirhan Sirhan, who had fallen off a horse when he was a little kid and hit his head, that would then 12 years later cause him to kill Senator Kennedy. If that was the case, then why wait 20 years before you release even your report on your investigation? and then of course when we when we did get the report and its accompanying uh evidence we learned that it too just like in the John Kennedy assassination uh investigation evidence was destroyed witnesses were were uh either tampered with or their statements were tampered with or they were berated and threatened um yeah so and 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 the LAPD did exactly what the FBI and the Warren Commission did and that is they backed themselves into a corner saying this was the only the this was the only guy that shot a weapon. But now we have too many bullets that could have come from that one weapon. So, oops. So the, so the the LAPD had its magic bullet. The LAPD uh, ran out of bullets, you know, uh, out of Sir Hans gun. So, you know, all of these things. Um, made made it absolutely necessary for it to be reinvestigated. And to this day, it hasn't. And it never has. Yeah. And,
1: and, you know, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but because that's a whole other rabbit hole. But like, you know, at least with the Kennedy assassination, Johnson gets the warrant commission within a week. He establishes it within a week. I mean, yep. how long did it take it us to have a nine eleven commission? Right, it's like what three years? Well, how long
3: did it take for us to have the House Committee on Assassinations because we got rid yeah. of the first chairman, Richard Sprague, who would have conducted a thorough investigation. um You know, so so it was it was embroiled in politics too, uh, the House Select Committee on Assassinations, just like nine eleven commission, and then of course, right. you know. Um, it ended up doing this much uh, the same mistakes or, or, or committing many of the same mistakes as the Warren Commission and the FBI. And maybe that's maybe that's the point, Adam. Maybe that's the point. We, if nothing else, we look at all of these investigations and we say each and every one of them got it wrong. Uh, the Challenger report, uh, Iran Contra, uh, you know the Warren Commission, his Hiska, all of these just either got it wrong or didn't give a shit and did not utilize mm-hmm. the proper resources of money and time to do it and do it right and to have the right people um, involved in it. So maybe that will inform us going forward into the next generation when catastrophic things happen. Then we demand as a public that an impartial, unbiased, and um, unhandcuffed investigation be conducted. I- including, of course, some of the public. Yeah. You know, like I said, we've... Transparent. We pointed, right, We po- but we pointed out earlier that they do a lot of legwork. Yeah. So why not use the tenacity of people and, of course, the technology that makes information gathering so much easier than 60 years ago? And, and the distribution of of that evidence, um, so so much easier and clearer. Um, so so positive things that can accrue uh, by declaring things even sixty years later. And and like I said, I had mentioned you know justice was was meted out for Medgar Evers and his killer, and um, uh, Emmett Till and his killers, and even John Wilkes Booth. So it's never too late to investigate something that's that important that has had such a momentous effect on this country and the world going forward. There's it's never too late. There is no statute of limitations. So, um,
2: well, and the, the shortcomings of all these investigations, if not, you know, the ill intent of some of them has just continued to poison the well of American politics to the point where, you know, where we are now, where the cynicism and distrust of government is just so commonplace that it's now, you know, used as uh, a weapon. And I wanted to pivot to ask, what do you really think would be the consequences politically for something like this really coming to light now? I mean, we've got like RFK Jr. is like this pretty much right wing populist type with just our whole information ecosystem like what what would the consequences really
1: yeah and to add to like rfk jr i mean you know he's he was gonna run against biden's democrats but now he's doing an independent party independent run right which could really affect the outcome of the 2024 election so i mean you know he's running you know i mean what what a
3: great name to run with right kennedy i mean my god absolutely absolutely um and and he knows what's at stake, and he knows what it could cost him. So, um, but I think those days are over. Um, when you're talking about the real danger that that one president can do, unless, of course, he or she is serious about overhauling the yeah. the uh, corruption and the and and the, just the sheer power. Um, because I don't know how we got to a point where we have a political party whose sole objective is simply to retain, to gather and to retain as much power as possible. They have no platform. They have nothing to run on. It's simply the other guy are, are you know, um, left-wing snowflakes that are that are terrorizing our country with uh, LGBTQ and, you know, black people and, you know, we're a minority and, you know... Only working class people work and 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 have and have um, uh, problems. So I, I don't know how we got to that point where 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 power is the most important thing, uh, as opposed to um, public consciousness and and um, uh, involvement. Um, so Kennedy wants to run as an independent. Well, that's that's not it's not surprising. We've had independents before. We've had third party, fourth party, fifth party, sixth party candidates before on the ballot. We know nothing about them because again, the two right. main political parties keep them out of the argument. And as long as that happens, I mean, that's that's a a you know, microcosm of the macro. That is we only want to look or or look at or listen to things that fit a preconceived notion. So um, any ideas or strategies that might be against ours will, in fact, usurp some of our power, and we are not willing to give that up. The intelligence agencies aren't willing to give up their power. Congressmen and women, senators aren't willing to give up that. You know, governors, you know, whatever platforms they have or, or they or they believe will keep them in office and keep them in the headlines, whether it's, you know, in Florida or Texas or, or even California and New York, um, we have been due for a third or fourth political party for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I think that our discussion of this, again, is is reflective of that you have special interests from private citizens, whether it's gun control, whether it's, well, um, um, transparency in government. Um, And day in and day out, they make FOIA requests and fight uh, the, 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 uh, the agencies and communities that they're trying to get information from just to get that information it's, it's that kind of thing so as these become more and more important to people mm-hmm. uh, we can include climate change we can include you know all, all of these other not hot button not hot button topics but just important to the american public they're going to be seeking a representative for that voice and if it's somebody like john Ken- or uh, robert kennedy jr or if it's somebody else and demand that their voices be heard uh that that's always a good thing but we now have like i said a political party who can have debates and it's and it's leading candidate doesn't show up for them Mm -hmm. because he doesn't need to we don't need to talk we don't need to mull it over we don't need to you know come up with strategies that will help the vast majority of american people is instead of just a, a very small minority of american citizens um It's got to come to a head, at least I believe that it has to come to a head. We have already seen examples of that throughout the last 60 years. They should have been informative enough to get us to act as a society, Um, whether it's government reform and transparency, um, whether it's a third, fourth, fifth party, and demanding that unheard voices be heard. Um, it's, It's long overdue, so um i wish robert kennedy luck but the problem is is that yeah until there's enough of a of a momentum of people wanting a third or fourth or fifth party there really is no reasonable expectation that an independent could in fact take take the white house or or you know how many independents do we have out of out of you know out of all of our re- representatives how many how many independents are there maybe Six, seven, right? Do you think they re- that, that, that's, those are the only um, differing opinions in this country? No, we have a lot of differing opinions and interests and concerns, um, so that, that are just not being heard and not being addressed. So, um, like I said, good luck to Robert Kennedy, but I think that he's he's really going to, uh, if he if he alters this uh, election, he's going to alter it in a negative way, not a positive way.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean exactly. Yeah, so much of this is a, the narrative about what changed in America with the death of JFK revolves around you know this activist foreign policy, and at this point JFK's party. You know, our view by many is being really the interventionist
0: world hawks, world. basically. Yeah,
2: yeah. You know, and so I just don't know who this information would would benefit now, because really, it's like the only you know more more isolationist or uh, anti hawk stuff is really just come feels like it comes from the the populist right now.
3: Well, and it just it's it's, but it's also comical if it wasn't so hypocritical. Um, you know, the fact yeah. that. <clears throat> But you these big be-
2: realignments, I mean, it's like I've known people who are pretty much I would characterize as populist right wing who who see JFK as some kind of symbol for, for them now. You know, these aren't really politically sophisticated people, but it's like I don't I don't know where things would even fall now and and who would benefit, you know.
3: Well, I don't know why they would why they would embrace him, Um, his own detractors in 19 in the 1960s, early 1960s. Right. Yeah, so no, a- I,
2: I totally understand, but these these weird realignments that are happening now with a lot is, of people is, being politicized for first time who never were before, and
1: and I mean, too, like the QAnon stuff has embraced this a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it was just like you know, even saying stuff like, "Well, you know, it's almost like the 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 dead and then rising king." Right? They say that you know JFK Jr. never died, and that like yeah, JFK I was gonna say, are they talking about John Kennedy? Senior- or John
3: Kennedy Jr yeah yeah
1: yeah but but you know this like weird QAnon cult that got started uh you know that that, that didn't leave this hotel for months and this happened in dallas and this happened because they all gathered on dealey plaza you know
2: about conspiracy theory in general and where it's at now really and, and jfk assassination research is really like the genesis of so much of what it has been since that
0: Yeah, and,
3: and but it's important that to remember that the, the vast majority of the uh, JFK assassination research um, actually put in the work and are yeah. not um, conspiracy kooks or theorists or um, you know they they are simply you talk about modest and moderate in 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 pursuing um, these mm-hmm. leads that the government simply wouldn't do and and it goes back to what I was saying about the the faults of. A lot of our government uh, investigations, uh, very little public oversight. So the criticism only comes after the report has been released, and by that time, it's it is too late because so much evidence has been destroyed or obfuscated that that it can't be retracted or recovered. Um, perfect example is well a, a, a um, contemporary one when you talk about nine eleven, um, the very evidence that could have Either proven or disproven, the existence of explosive charges being set in both the towers and in Building Number Seven was immediately extracted from uh, the um, Ground Zero and sent to to what is it? China, Japan, so that it could be, you know, um, recycled, I suppose, or turned into something else. So instead of like what happens when airplanes go down and they recover every single piece and in these large hangars they try to completely rebuild the plane to see you know with the parts that they have to see what happened obviously you can't do that with a 110 story building but my point is is that all of all of it was not examined it was like
2: what happened with kennedy's body
3: absolutely yeah or 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 the bullets or the car or the clothes or you know we keep just going on or in robert kennedy's case the uh the ceiling tiles and the door jams and you know all these things that just disappear or are destroyed out of routine um yeah it was it was the exact same kind of thing so um and and just the complete um um ignoring of of scientific evidence because um, it has been a while since since it was declared that that the um, ballistically, even though the FBI and the Warren Commission claimed that all of the fragments and all of the uh, bullets um, could be linked to to the "quote unquote" Oswald rifle, in when in fact more recent um, scientific um, uh, tests and and technology have proven uh, the complete the complete opposite. Um, which is why I'm saying that if we had had the metal removed from Governor Connolly's wrist before he was buried, uh, it really would have gone a long way to to um to put an end to all of this uh, arguing uh, and and different yeah. there is a way to definitively say whether or not this bullet did what the government said it did. And once we establish that it did not, then we can go from there. Like I said, build all of these different consensuses. And and go from there, and we can do that with with um, most of the cases that I've talked about, and a lot of the cases I haven't talked about. So <clears throat> um, so there is importance in in keeping um, the pursuit going and uh, trying to have another investigation, not only into John Kennedy's assassination, but Robert Kennedy's assassination, and and even Fred Hampton. Um, yeah,
1: agreed. What I'm curious about too, though, is um, the question of motive killing uh, J- jfk are we still kind of in this 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 idea that i think it's pretty sound still that you know they could have been about vietnam or have there come other motives that possibly possibly have like come forward in the last few years
3: well one of the things that have come out of the um jfk records collection act uh and the documents that have been transferred over was in fact uh documents concerning his vietnam policy uh, people like Noam Chomsky have argued that that he really wasn't going to re- to um, bring the um, the troops home by uh, 1965 and he was in fact um, uh, um, um, getting into a position to to escalate it just like Johnson did. It was inevitable. Um, but these documents clearly sh- show, Despite any public pronouncements that that uh John Kennedy gave to like Walter Cronkite in september of nineteen sixty three he was absolutely convinced that it was a losing cause, and that unlike the Bay of Pigs, he was not going to listen to his advisors his military advisors and instead listen to his um uh private advisors, including his brother and um Sorensen and you know. And was going to to get us out of Vietnam, but when you talk about motivation, it's very important to remember that we've had four political assa- or four presidential assassinations in our history. The John Kennedy assassination is the only one in which a political motive could not be pinned on the assailant or the alleged assailant. All the other three—Lincoln, McKinley, Garfield—they did it for political reasons. Mm-hmm. They stated, right. they wrote about it. Um, and it was undeniable. What we again have learned in the last sixty years about the uh, Oswald, and he is—he's is a mysterious figure that that again deserves its own investigation. Just just put up a, a investigative body just on Oswald because he yeah. was a fascinating character. Made all yeah. of them because of the fingerprints of intelligence all over his twenty-four-year-old body. Um, he—it was hit has been firmly established that he was a fan of President Kennedy. That he didn't agree with some of his policies, but that overall he thought he was steering the country in a, in the right direction. So it was not a case of him having any angst against the very victim he supposedly um, victimized. Um, I remember in the 1980s when the theory came out, maybe it was in the 70s, uh, that John Kennedy really wasn't his target. John Conley was. Because of his, because of Oswald's um, um, dishonorable discharge, or or something having to do with his with his military record, and that that John Conley, in one of his previous um, iterations in government, was in charge of that, or or was on a board that oversaw that, or or something to that effect, and that he was in in fact trying to kill John Conley. Anyway, yeah, I've I've heard that. Yeah, Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. There was no political reason, no motive that Oswald had or stated or wrote um, that that would indicate why he would do something like this. If In fact, he did it. That's why the Warren Commission was um, reluctantly forced to uh, to determine that Oswald did it just for the publicity he wanted. He was a nobody. So how do you not, you know, become a somebody? um while well, you kill somebody famous that was mark david Shaman's uh line of line of uh, motivation as well or one of them but it just but the the evidence just not, does not stack up against that and does not um uh support that that very weak very weak motivation uh but if you do in fact as a student of history look at other people who had the the motivation um had the means motive and opportunity right that's what that's that's one on one of of crime sleuthing is means motive and opportunity um, if you look at it from a historical aspect, who did Kennedy piss off? well, then you've got a whole yeah, got a whole lineup of people who had the means to at least fund it or provide the assassins or the um, getaway teams or you know because yeah. Killing killing a foreign leader, it, it it takes a lot of planning and, um, yeah, so it's a lot of cooperation. So, um, but if you look at, at who was, was most motivated to kill president Kennedy and benefit the most from his death, mm-hmm. Lee Harvey Oswald was the very last person on that list.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think more than anything, it just shows it's a window to this, um, right-wing underworld that was kind of given carte blanche during the cold war. And there's all these different causes and people from different countries. And, you know, this was an international thing. And if you let something like that exist, you know, sooner or later, you're going to get something like what happened. And, you know, maybe that, that relates a lot to what's been going on. And, you know, the last uh, few years and decades uh, now also,
3: yeah it, um if you if you have uh, part of it is about the narrative too because when you talk about when you talk about oh, what was the phrase you just used um well can... anytime, anytime you control the narrative then you can control the argument and yeah. it makes it a lot easier to sway people into that argument if you can control that narrative and you control uh you know for instance uh defining what is patriotic and what isn't patriotic um, it makes it that much easier to discount these people and include these people. And if you feel more and more aggrieved, then it's more likely that you will feel a, a kinship or a more of a brotherhood with these people, and you will be convinced that y- that your cause is righteous and uh, your pursuit is righteous, regardless of what evidence you see or what anybody might tell you. Um, Adam, you were talking about your dad still believing that Oswald acted and acted alone all you have to do is to simply say what makes you think that dad what 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 for you what is the the cornerstone evidence that lets you know that Oswald did it is it yeah. motive? is it any of the evidence and from that you can simply just destruct it or keep asking him the questions including the question of if he did it dad and he did it alone and he did it you know without any help then why all the secrecy why all the destruction why all the obfuscation um right so um but i can't I, you know i i still to this day i i can't wrap my head around groups like QAnon or uh groups that need to to exist underground in order to flourish you know i i, I just i just don't know um a kind of compare not a comparison but a, but a. An arc has been drawn from um, the KKK of the 19th century, mm-hmm. and racist people now, white supremacists now, mm-hmm. they don't need to hide behind uh, white sheets. They don't need to hide in their existing communal. Um, you know, the 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 sheriff was the you know was the, mm-hmm. the was the Grandmaster of the, of the Ku Klux Klan, but it, that was that was a hidden, you know, that was hidden from the public. Now, um, the most vehemently right wing and um, racist or, um, transphobic or, you know, Islamophobic are, are, are you know, yeah. students in suits and have their own YouTube channel. And, you know, it's, it's become, it's, it's not your father's KKK anymore, because, um, what they're more articulate, or they appear to be and um, more reasoned arguments uh, behind less and less evidence I, I, I but it, it's it's still quandary to me it's still it's still I still don't understand how how that exists and exists
2: well it's just a uh, you know we have so many unresolved conflicts and and something like this being unresolved for so long just I feel like poisons the wells and, and you know changes the narrative of history and people don't know what some of these similar people were responsible for
3: yet. Right. Right. So then let's, you know, (laughs) and this is
2: their, you know, this is kind of their children, right?
3: Right. So part of it is about, you know, trying to educate yourself and trying to listen to, to all views uh, that, that becomes increasingly difficult to do in this day and age of social media, where you're just bombarded 24 seven with information um, be less selective, uh, because of the pressure to see this TikTok or this Instagram or, you know, uh, this Facebook post or, or what have you. And, and we can even argue about, you know, um, <laughs> um, companies that are, that are actually can actually control the, 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 uh, al- algorithms well, to yeah. make you see things that they want you to see. And then you're just, you know, yeah. So that just makes it easier to, to what, to surrender to them because it must be true because I'm reading it, right? It's on my it's on my feed. I'm a, you know, it must be true because 'Cause you're talking about sixty years ago, you really had to go in depth. You really yeah. had to do legwork. You had to actually physically go to a, a library. Sometimes you had to go to several libraries. Yeah. If you wrote to an archivist in a library from, you know, in, in another state, then it would take you you know, writing a letter, waiting for that letter, getting it back, you know, so it, 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 it was, you were more invested in it. Uh, it seems today you don't have to be quite as invested in all that because it comes so easily The yeah. information where the seemingly uh, pertinent information comes so easily so fast. Um, yeah. I don't think it's,
2: I think just by its nature, conspiracy theory is not something that is intended or, or has good consequences when it's, when it has a mass audience like it is now, and it's basically force on people through the algorithms and the but frequency of it being in their pocket. Um, it's, it's just terrible versus, you know, when it was uh, the, the small dedicated groups of citizen investigators, you know, you just had a lot better results and, and uh, you know, could have positive consequences, but now just the, yeah. the nature of it I think is, is not intended for this type of, media environment. It's its just all bad.
3: Uh, you know, when we were just talking about that, the 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 scene just popped up into my head Uh, in All the President's Men. Just a, f- a wonderful movie. I, I never get sick of that movie. But it's when they discover the name of somebody that they really needed to track down and interview. And Bob Woodward goes to the Washington Post lounge. It was a lounge area. And on the walls it was just covered with telephone books from every city in the United States. So because they had a little bit of information of where he might have been from, he keeps pulling them off, and he's looking through these telephone books just trying to find somebody who's listed. Well, guess what? People aren't listed anymore. We don't yep. have telephone books anymore. You know, it's it's that kind of old-school thing that that is just... it. It almost looks laughable now, but that's the kind of legwork that you had to do. And you tended to go... Towards more primary uh, evidence and documentation, as opposed to third or fourth or fifth, yep. you know, hearsay, hearsay that is so easily uh, consumed and digested, uh, thanks to social media. So <clears throat> uh, I'm hoping that that uh, that never gets lost. That the next generation that looks into the JFK case or the RFK case or MLK, that they really do spend the time with the books that came out in that decade and the results of that kind of dogged pursuit you know of of primary sources and and actual evidence um, you know to go forward uh, I, I you know w- one of the tasks that that I keep thinking about is is the Freedom of Information Act um, I substitute taught for eight years and i always declared i said if i if i were a full-time teacher if i were an actual teacher and made that for my profession then i would make my students as a project as a you know year-end project to file a FOIA request awesome yeah. it doesn't matter if it took two or three or four years for you to get the materials that you asked for the important thing is that you know how to file one and that you stay with it and even if you get the materials after you've graduated from high school, once you get those materials, whether or not you're interested in the subject at all, donate it to your local library. Mm-hmm. Because the, the FBI, the CIA, intelligence groups, okay, even, even local and state agencies are not going to voluntarily release what they have in their vaults. They're not going to scan them and then make them public just out of the goodness of their hearts. It's going to take the public to extract those and make them public. And and um, to give you the, the, the example that's closest to me right now, the Black Panther Party.
2: Yeah, yeah, let's segue into your, your current, most recent developments with the Fred Hampton stuff and Black Panthers.
3: Well, okay, so it has been 50 years since the Black Panther Party, uh, about, right? Um, it's, it's heyday, certainly, you know, that the FBI without evidence, of course, this is, this is what we're talking about as far as patterns are concerned. We know that there exists in the FBI vaults case files on every Black Panther Party branch and chapter from every state in which they existed, as well as individual investigative files on most of the central staff members of each of those branches and chapters. So we're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of investigative files on individuals inside the Black Panther Party and all of the branches and chapters of the Black Panther Party. To date, there has only been one chapter who's had their file released and that's North Carolina the North Carolina Black Panther Party, which didn't come into existence until I think 1971. But Black Panther Party headquarters in Oakland, it's, it's uh comparable chapter down in LA. The Chicago Black Panther Party, main investigative file, all 200 volumes of it, I do know that there are 200 volumes of that, have never been requested never been released i was the first person that wasn't a lawyer involved in the civil trial to request fred hampton's file and what happens is once the the fbi releases a file to a private citizen it then makes copies of it and makes it available in the fbi reading room in washington Now, with the advent of all of our technology and scanning, and now they have a digital vault on their website, they decided to scan three volumes of Fred Hampton's 44 file, which simply had to do with the civil trial. So the only documents pertaining to Fred Hampton that the FBI has on its website was after he was dead. So this is a great example of that of the fact that so many books have been written about the Black Panther Party so many documentaries and now a, a major, major motion picture uh but very few people well basically nobody has started with the FBI's evidence or or um its investigative files on these organizations and individuals and as criminal as what the fbi did to hundreds of thousands of citizens back in the 1960s and 70s they created an in an irrepro irreplaceable history of those organizations and individuals because of their intrusive nature of course it was illegal it was immoral but the it happened and a result of that happening is that we have a unique history thanks to the fbi of all of these groups and individuals ripe for uh, analyzing and contextualizing and bringing to the forefront. But, of course, people haven't done that. So using the very tools that some progressive uh, politicians... uh, allowed with the passage of the Freedom of Information Act and now most states have their own FOIA uh units if they don't call them FOIA they call them like sunshine you know you know because you're you're exposing f- these documents to the sunshine um so almost every state has them and everyone is is uh, subject to FOIA requests um and they just it, it's so underused. Most of the time, FOIAs are, are, are submitted by journalists or professors who are writing books, and very little is, is done with them. Or, um, you know, the vast majority of the FBI's documents are still in its basement. And like I said, will not be released unless we as citizens request them. So everybody should learn how to, how to file a FOIA request. Absolutely, and they don't have to be my students. It could be just anybody anybody who who's listening right now for, file a FOIA request on any organization or individual that had or that was controversial in the very least in the 1960s and once you get those documents, donate them to somebody if, if you if, the, if that's not your primary interest <clears throat> you know there's nothing wrong with that, but just as a civic duty. <laughs> do your civic duty and and get the fbi to release documents
1: yeah because i mean it's there for a reason i mean and people fought for that
3: right for that
1: to happen for that to occur so
3: absolutely and um you know when it didn't when it didn't work all that well then well we had very brave people breaking into fbi field offices and (laughs) (laughs) making way away with uh you know um, file cabinets full of of fbi right
1: that's how they found out about cointelpro
3: exactly the media papers oh. yeah.
1: well craig i want to thank you for uh coming on this has been uh it's been a good discussion i've I really enjoyed it
3: well i appreciate it and and i hope that i haven't been too long-winded or you know too no no not at all too much um
1: not at all you where can people find your work and uh, there'll be a book coming out soon
3: well again you're 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 exposing my my uh less than tech savvy um i did in fact buy a, uh, a blog domain it's called fredhampton.blog because it was available and so of course i was going to get it my Mm -hmm. intention was to um, is to and i am working on it it's just that i've been working a, a lot of hours at my other job and haven't really uh i haven't gotten it up but i am my first entry is going to be a not a critique but a historical narrative based on the shaka king movie that was released two years ago on fred hampton called judas and the black messiah um it's it's with daniel kaluuya um uh, who a lot of people are familiar with a wonderful wonderful actor he plays fred hampton and uh given the the materials that he got from shocker king which was limited i think he did a, he did a brilliant job but the movie itself was ill-conceived and was not based on most of the most of the research that's available um well okay let's just let's just be honest shaka king never contacted me because <laughs> i've been researching this guy for 30 years and and had had shaka king known about me and contacted me i would be able to provide him with all of the you know context uh he could need uh but instead he didn't and so the movie was was poorer for it so my intent was to simply you've seen the movie if you want to know what really happened, go to my blog, and I will, scene by scene, explain what actually happened. Because I understand Hollywood, I understand, I mean, especially especially with JFK, you have to make composite characters, you have to condense the chronology, you can't, you know, you can't explain what happened in the five years between Jim Garrison, learning about the assassination, and first getting into Oswald, and then deciding to investigate. You can't, you you have to shrink it down. I understand the Hollywood necessities of making a film that is most accessible to the most number of people. However, you do a disservice to the very person that you're trying to humanize, which was shock Kings motivation for doing this humanizing Fred Hampton, who in many uh, areas have been, has been demonized, um, as a cop killer or, you know, a, a thug, a criminal, You do a disservice to that very person when you don't, when you buy into the myth that you can't make a movie um, dramatic unless you change what actually happened. What actually happened was more dramatic than what Chaka King put in this movie. And so my intent was simply, again, go scene by scene to let people know historically what actually happened. And so I'm working on that. So forgive forgive me uh for, for it not being ready. Uh there's never enough time in the day. But I urge your listeners, if you have any interest in Fred Hampton at all, then to keep checking back to Fredhampton.blog. Uh awesome. my my JFK research is still at Craig Um and I yes, I am in the I'm in the midst right now of of uh revising or, or updating my um master list of eyewitnesses so that that should be available should be available in the first first of the year
2: awesome and i really okay. recommend recommend that along with the map um did you are you planning on printing any more? i know you said you only have about one left
3: yes i only have one left uh but like i said i i need to update the list uh the map doesn't need any updating um and and so like i said those will be those will be available by the first of the year um, in the meantime, I only have one left. So if anybody wants that one, <laughs> reach out to them ASAP, that's a, it's a
2: great, uh, conversation piece for your home. Sure, uh, It's great to, to hang out with friends and, and use it alongside the, uh, the master list there to figure out where everyone was and what their testimony was. Uh, so really, uh, when that's available again, you guys, uh, I'd really recommend to su- support our guest here and, uh, get your own.
3: I appreciate it because I really uh, the, the other project that I've <laughs> had to do, or I have been doing, is is the exact same kind of map and master listed witnesses to the RFK assassination.
2: Oh, that's awesome, dude!
3: But it's very expensive nice. to do because you know an architect does the map. Yeah, uh, you know, I I do all of the the actual plotting of it, but he actually puts the, that onto a computer. It's very expensive, so um, hopefully, look for that in the near future as well.
2: Awesome, man. Well, thanks right. so much for coming on Conspiranormal. You're always welcome.
3: Thank you for all your time and uh, take the best of care.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Gus. Thank you. You can find us at conspiranormal.com, uh, anywhere podcasts are, if you're just a, if you're a new listener. And we do still have a Patreon. So if you guys want to support us and what we do, uh, Sir Fiel can tell you where to find that.
2: You can go over to patreon.com slash and uh we're going to be getting back into doing more patreon content guys thanks for hanging in with us as we uh we're in the midst of all the strange realities uh planning uh, but uh, we're going to be coming back with more of that and more regular conspiranormal episodes We've got some lined up that uh i think you all will enjoy through
1: and we're going to be uh finishing out the year with you guys and we will talk to you soon